Welcome to Through Here, a podcast about road trips, people, and places. Through Here is recorded on Treaty 2 territory. The land is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. The land is also used by Indigenous nations from Treaties 1, 3, and 4. Season 1 of Through Here takes place in Riding Mountain National Park, a vast, forested oasis amongst Manitoba's hundreds of kilometers of prairie, and a destination for many travelers. If you'd like to learn more about the setting of Through Here's first season, head to the Where's Here section of throughherepod.com. Things got real for Kevin on the road this summer. Traveling can't always be just fun and games. First, car problems. Second, more car problems. And then, a counter-protest in BC where tensions were high and all he could think about was doing what he knew was the right thing. Kevin has been using destination weddings as an excuse to see the world for quite some time now, and it just so happened that a wedding in Jasper this summer provided him with the opportunity to see more of the country he grew up in. Listen along as we go through the valleys and peaks with him just as his trip was coming to a close. We hear about the highlights of his trip, how shit got real pretty quickly, the downfalls of relying on a vehicle, and why Kevin values traveling and thinks it's crucial to do so. There is more foul language in this episode than you may have come used to from through here, and there's some intense subject matter near the middle of the episode. I will interject to warn you, as always, but on parts of Kevin's trip, shit got real. We encourage you to listen to it because we think it's massively interesting and it discusses an issue we think demands attention. I'm Kevin Kralpner. The whole trip was started off with a wedding in Jasper. And then I've got different friends and family throughout BC. So just kind of planned a three week trip around the wedding and I didn't want to rush all the way out there and wanted to make sure I stop in a few times, different places to, to visit some old friends and family. When did you start? So August 2nd, yeah, that was when I left, left 6 a.m. I wanted to leave earlier, I had car troubles right away. It was night before, I went to wash my car and then I couldn't start it after. So I just got a CAA membership and I called them and they're like, oh, we'll just try and give you a boost. And I opened up the hood and the thick cable that comes off the battery was already severed off. I was like, uh, this is probably the problem. He's like, yeah, that's your starter cable. Uh, you're pretty much screwed. You need a, need a mechanic. I was like, well, like I gotta get going though. He's like, well, I, I can hold the cable to the battery terminal and you can turn the key and that'll get you started and we can get out of there and we'll see what we can do. We start the car and we get it out, out of the car wash. And he's like, yeah, you're gonna have to go to a mechanic tomorrow. I'm like, well, can you, can you, like, you held it there. Can you, you know, fix it to it? Like anything temporary, I can sort it out later. So I guess I could duct tape it. So he duct tapes my starter cable to the battery and it got me home and I packed and I procrastinated like crazy on prep packing, so I didn't get anything done really. And I wanted to leave early enough before Highway 1 would close for construction. And I went to start my car in the morning, it wouldn't start because the duct tape had shook loose. So I propped the cable up against like a part of the battery cover to go tight onto the, onto the terminal and it started. Okay, like, hey, I'm on the road now. And first place I had to stop the gas up, I had to ask somebody to turn the key for me so I could start it. In Yorkton, I bought a side terminal 
to bolt, like crimp the cable and bolt it to my battery. And it worked, it, it got me started and got me moving, got me on the road again. And just before Edmonton, I started losing power in the car where I couldn't get it over 3000 RPM. I'm like, oh fuck, like I gotta, I gotta go through the mountains and crap. Like I need, I need to have a car that can be able to handle that and pass on a highway. Like my plan was to get to Edmonton and like, go out for a few beers first. I just like got to my hostel and actually I booked an all male dorm and I was the only one in it. So I just like, I got like a private room for a night, which was nice, I got to sleep. And then I did the same thing in the morning. I went and bought a different side terminal and bought a washer because it kind of fretted away and wore out. But I got the car fixed and it was working fine after that. And it got me to Jasper. Like, I guess I'll just talk about all the car problems I had and I'll go back to like where I was. But um, after Jasper, the exhaust pipe fell off. <laughs> came off came off from where the engine was and so the car was super loud like thankfully it wasn't huffing fumes or anything and i was gonna do whitewater rafting clear water it was a four-hour trip so i was like there's a mechanic right next door i'm like hey can i give you my car and you can fix it for me while i'm off on this and they're like no we close at five you won't be back in time and we're too busy and it's like okay well i'll figure it out in the morning and i ended up finding a I asked like a just a bartender at a pub, and he's like, "Oh, I'll take it to this place called TNT Auto. They're they do good work." I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. And I'm not trying to plug them. Their their name actually has a point later. Um, so I, I I told my friend in hope, like, "Hey, I'm gonna be late. My car's in the shop. They're hopefully gonna weld it up for me and see what happens." And I was making a backup plan for with a friend in Tawasson. Uh, if you know, if I can't get it fixed, I need a part call the mechanic there, order the part, you know, pay for it or whatever, and then by the time I get there, they'll have the part in stock, and then I can leave my car with the mechanic. Like, I was already making a backup plan for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was talking to some people, I was getting food. I, I just spent the whole day, like, relaxing on a beach, trying to, like, get it out of my mind. And I, like, I felt a little stranded, but it was so beautiful in clear water, it was just really nice, so I'm like, well, can't really be stranded in paradise, I guess. Like, I just laid by a beach all day, and then took a kayak for a pot paddle, and relaxed mm-hmm. um and then uh, some guys were like oh tnt oh is that like is that where you took it well like, yeah they're like oh it says for tomorrow not today I'm like what do you mean like because the guy takes forever to do anything i'm like oh you've got to be kidding me so <laughs> i was just like I, I need like i need my car and it was like getting towards 4 p.m and then she called me he's like yeah you're all fixed you're ready to go and he welded it for me and was back on the road again and then like intermittently i'd lose power on, on my car there was something with Something with the battery cable or with the alternator just wasn't charging properly and was like every now and then I would just like wouldn't be able to accelerate too fast or go over 100k an hour. The whole drive back I I was like limited to about 105 kilometers an hour. 100 if it was on cruise control and 105 if I had it off cruise control. And that's why I like took forever getting home and didn't get back till super late. Made it through I guess. Did that add to the trip? Like obvious, like in, in an unexpected way, but... Yeah, I mean, like, I never, I never missed a destination. I like everything I had planned out. I made it there. I just made it there late. I'd always be like a couple hours late or like five hours late, or <laughs> like in the mm-hmm. case of like uh, leaving Clearwater to go to Hope. I was hoping to be there in like the morning or early afternoon. I didn't get there till like eleven thirty at night, midnight. Driving down the Coquihalla, I wanted to go through the the coke at like during daylight hours instead of at night because it's mm-hmm. 120k an hour <laughs> you're like screaming down a mountainside it's, it's the first time i'd ever driven it, it was just stupid it, i don't know it, it made it worth it in, in a way like it was you know i could have could have flown out there and rented a car and had that reliability my car was not the greatest of shape like oh, i'll be all right and mm-hmm. 
And because they broke the day before leaving, yeah, I was like, hey, I got to pack tools. I got to make sure I'm, like, somewhat prepared for a breakdown. And it came in real handy. It came in, like, like every second or third day I had to do something on the car just to make sure. Maybe not that much. Like, every for long drives, I had to pop the hood and go underneath a little bit a few times. Uh, what do you think your experience would have been if you hadn't had car issues? I hadn't had car issues? I think it would still be a good experience. I just would have got everywhere. It, it, it'd be like less less exciting but I hate to say like in a good way not that like the adventure was in a bad way that's just like kind of part of it like if you go on a road trip you might get stranded something might happen you might break down um, the bride and groom for the wedding that I went to had a timing belt snap on them so they they had to get towed and they had like their just married sticker on the back of their car <laughs> on a tow truck and they ended up because they were delayed so badly, they ended up passing through Clearwater the same time I was stranded. So we got to meet up after the wedding for, for a pint to kind of self-pity with each other about our car problems and how we're getting through them. I think it enhanced the trip in one way, but it, if, if I didn't have them, I, I like wouldn't. It's like, oh, darn, if only my car would have broke down, it would have been more like an adventure. <laughs> so like it would have been, been nice to just not have anything break. Did it make you talk to more people? Yeah, I mean, like, I had to. I usually travel alone, so I never really have a problem with talking to strangers and, and making spontaneous friends. It's just something I've always kind of had to do. But there were like, yeah, absolutely like forced to try and like ask for help or, or recommendations. Like the guy at the pub in Clearwater recommended an automotive service. So like, you know, I could look at Google, but I got like somebody that gave me a, a, like somebody to talk to. I stopped at a couple other garages first to see who could help me. And they all seemed pretty, I don't know, like they like, didn't want my business or they were busy and they're like oh whatever maybe I can get to it like look man if I'm out of town like I need to get going if you can help me say so if you can't like I'll waste my time so I can go somewhere else and that seemed to be the one place where the guy's like yeah I'll definitely be able to look at it today and I'll try I'll try and see what I can do because I told him like just like I don't care if it's welded crappily or just a piece of flex pipe or something like just something to get me on the road again and I'll be good I don't want to spend it I don't want to have to like try and find a place to stay for this mm -hmm. night when I was crashing with somebody already. Did you plan your trip out beforehand? Or like car issues aside, obviously. Did you plan it out beforehand? Or were you like, okay, well, I just need to be here at this time and potentially here at this time? I, I'm pretty anal about that sort of planning. Like I had like leave at this time, get to here. And uh, this was the first road trip I ever had to plan. So I had to factor in like the range of my car and how far I could go. Not that I would pass a place and then be, you know, possibly running out of fuel and all the gas stations are closed. So I kind of erred on the side of caution. So I, I, I tried to keep a pretty strict schedule, which might have added to some of the stress. You get a, you get a breakdown and you're like, oh, I was supposed to be here by this time. And you kind of have to just take it as it is. And you go, okay, well, I'm just going to be late. That's all, you know, you have to call ahead, call ahead, make accommodations. When I ended up late in Calgary, uh, to get into the hostel was like a video game almost. It was like, I got instructions in an email that like a code to open a lock that would give me a key to open another box. And in the box would have an envelope with my name on it. And the name on it would have another code to get through another door and then I could get a key. It was just like, this is pretty intense. Just to <laughs> like lay my head down for a little bit because it was past midnight and they're, they don't have 24 hour check-in. Um, yeah, I, I, I tried to plan stuff out pretty, pretty strict and at the same time not let it 
get to me if it wasn't gonna wasn't gonna work out. How did you pick where you were stopping? Or staying. Some of it was dependent on people that I knew. Actually, a lot of it was. Like, Jasper was the wedding. Edmonton was decided beforehand because I didn't want to drive the whole shot and then end up driving into the mountains to try and find my place in Jasper at night. I didn't want to do that. So that dictated that. And then after, uh, I guess the only real, like, two or three things I wanted to try in BC was I wanted to do whitewater rafting. I wanted to bungee jump. I was thinking about maybe surfing. So I looked up where to go surfing, where to go bungee jumping, where to go whitewater rafting. I have a friend in Hope and I have family in Chilliwack. So when I found whitewater rafting in different places and one was halfway between Jasper and like Hope and Chilliwack are only about a half hour drive from each other. Mm-hmm. It was just like, that's a clear choice. You just go, go to Clearwater because it's on the way. And uh, it ended up being a really good time there, actually, whitewater rafting. The place I stayed wasn't in Clearwater. It was a little bit towards Jasper in Avola. At a, it was like a biker bar. Like, they had people tenting in the backyard with, with, with motorcycles, and then, like, the train rolled right past it. They had, like, a V8. It was like a log cabin. Like, there were just, like, independent cabins, plus the bar and, like, a field. It was, like, an all right place. They advertised, like, the... They say world-famous burger, but I swear it said they advertised the best burger and they didn't have any buns for it, so I got a burger with, like, a lettuce bun. <laughs> Just lettuce on top and under, underneath it. Like, it was a good burger, but I was like, even with a bun, it probably wasn't that great. It was a weird, it was kind of a weird place. And they had, like, a VHS TV inside the room, and they had, I think it was a Steven Seagal movie. I was already in there at an action scene, so I was like, oh, perfect. And <laughs> Just, like, sat down and watched, watched, I think it was part of Under Siege, and it was just, like, terrible acting, but super funny. It was kind of like... Made my car problems seem a little less, less, less of an issue. And then after, after uh, revisiting like family in, in Chilliwack, I went just, oh no, I went north. I went north to Whistler for the bungee jump and stayed in Squamish. And then went through Vancouver to Twas and uh, some old workmates of mine that used to work in Winnipeg, semi-retired out there. So I crashed with them for a few days. And then after that was Victoria, or sorry, Vancouver and then Victoria. And then I just picked Calgary on the way home because I wanted somewhere to stop before going all the way through. Mm-hmm. Did you surf in Victoria? I didn't. I didn't get to it at all. Victoria's not really known for surfing, but I was thinking maybe I could go to Tofino or mm-hmm. something like that. But by the end of it, I just ended up like moseying around Victoria a little bit. And my, I had a buddy out there too. So during the evening, I just hung out with him anyway. I ended up driving to East Souk for a, it was like a coastal, coastal hike. That was pretty nice. It was like not as smoky as other places in BC. It was kind of along the coastline, then it would go into the trees and up the hills a little bit, and then it would go back to the coastline and back and forth. So it wasn't like stupid hot either. It was a nice day, and that was about like a 45 minute drive north of Victoria. What did you eat? <laughs> a whole lot of crap. <laughs> Just like stopped at restaurants and ate burgers and pizza all the time. Sushi in Victoria or in Vancouver, that was really good. Someone says, like, yeah. Psst get any kind of fish and when you're out there it's, it's it's good really good poutine in vancouver too place called belgian fries but no i didn't like i don't know nothing exciting not like going to like a, a whole different country and trying a, a new cuisine or anything like that mm-hmm. you planned the trip but you didn't plan what to eat yeah not not really at all all i all i planned on was like trying sushi in vancouver because i heard it was going to be really good it was gonna be better than like what you can get in winnipeg and that, that was about it uh, and then if anybody recommended a place, like, oh, you got to go to this place, got to go here. Like, okay, I'll, I'll do that and, mm-hmm. and try that out. But nothing really nothing really jumped off off the page for, for food like that. What kind of people did you meet? 
oh, I'm at, oh, I'll go down my list here. And I'll just, because uh, I, I did I did write about the people that I met too, like random people. Let's try and see what the first name that comes up. Jordan the Hitchhiker. Picked up Jordan outside of, I guess, Clearwater on the way to Hope. And he was going to Salmon Arm. So I dropped him off, I think, in Kamloops. I think Kamloops was where it was. Which was really good meeting him because he had recommendations for Vancouver and like, you know, you gotta at least walk down East Hastings just to see what it's like. If, if you're familiar with the East Hastings, it's kind of like the like the, the homeless problem and and like the the attic problem in, in Vancouver has gotten so bad that there's no way like there's you know not that you should like try and run them out of anywhere, but like they've essentially like taken over an area and that's it. Like the police just kind of they don't go in there, they don't try and do drug busts essentially. I guess they're not too much. They kind of let them do their thing. Um, I ended up going to a punk show there and. Just walking that little stretch, I saw like three or four people shoot up, just sitting on 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 the side of the road and stuff. Like, it's it's pretty dire, but they're like they're friendly and nobody hassles you or anything. Like, they're not aggressive. It didn't it didn't seem violent. It was just like they were just looking for their fix and that was it. They didn't they didn't even want to see you. So he had some pretty good advice on different things like that. And I went to that show with a guy I met in Squamish, because he was from East Vancouver. Uh, his name was Lee. He was a pretty cool guy. He was, he was really, really chill. I met him at my hostel in Squamish. Uh, we ended up going to a bar where we met complete assholes. There is like also a casino bar. And this guy was like, I'm the only guy to win $17,000 in a small town casino. I'm like, yeah, sure you are. And they, they, he was with, with two women, I think might've been like a mother daughter. And he was like trying to wine and dine them or whatever, pretend to be a baller. And the bartender's like, we see him here all the time. He's, <laughs> he's a fucking loser. And he ended up going, I don't know how we got on the topic of Winnipeg. I didn't mention I was from there. But the bartenders knew I was from there and Lee knew I was from there. And the, the one woman's like, oh, Winnipeg's a shithole. And I'm like, oh, do tell. <laughs> <laughs> What's so wrong about Winnipeg? And they're like, oh, they, they have a lake down or they don't have any lakes in, in Winnipeg. I'm like, no lakes in Winnipeg. I mean, it's a city. <laughs> like, no, in like Manitoba, there's like no lakes. Well, they have a lake, but they call them inland seas and... Wait, actually, I think there is a lake downtown Winnipeg. Like, oh, you don't say. That's really interesting. Well, why would they call them an inland sea and not just a lake? And I just, like, kept the sarcasm on a high level and, and tried not to give away where I was. And eventually the one guy's like, well, where are you from? Like, I'm from east. He goes, well, PEI? Like, no, not that far. <laughs> Hamilton? Like, no, west from there. He said, oh, like Saskatchewan. I'm like, no. He's like, oh, don't worry. I won't tell anybody you're from Saskatchewan. I'm like, well, yeah, you probably shouldn't tell anybody I'm from Saskatchewan. I just kind of kept answering their question without lying to them and, and just kind of had my, my way. And then when I got back in the car, the weekend dance was playing on my iPod, which made me feel really good. Yeah, I guess meeting up with like old friends and stuff too. My friend Jill had moved out there. We're like junior high, high school friends. Managed to stay in contact. And John and Karen in Twasson, friends of mine that I used to work with, they're like big into like protesting the pipeline and beachcombing and just relaxing and, and just kind of kind of doing their thing. Nothing, nothing, nothing too much more back here. I met up with Lee to go to that show because he was he was back in in his hometown. I guess this is where it kind of turns into less of a vacation. It was Nanaimo? I didn't I didn't plan to go to Nanaimo, but uh, uh, just a curiosity. If you mind if this gets a little bit political because it kind of will. I hate to say it. Oh, I don't care. Okay, right on. Things get real here. 
as traveling sometimes does. I personally don't think it gets political, um, and if you think it does, I don't think it's a contentious issue. I believe what Kevin says is what he believes with all of his being. This part does get real though, and fairly tense, so if you want to prepare your ears for that, be my guest. So I was at a show and I was just kind of like looking at my phone the night before, the night before the punk show, and um, there's, a, there's an anti-fascist group in, in Winnipeg called FF1, and they shared Calgary Against Racism's post that had been shared originally from Victoria Against Racism about uh, this far-right group called the Soldiers of Odin and how they're going to attack a homeless camp in Nanaimo. Essentially, there's so much homeless in Nanaimo, and the city tried to evict them, and they got shot down for it. Essentially, what happened was, like, they there's not enough low-income housing, and there's not enough homeless shelters, so they've just, like, made a tent city in, in Nanaimo, and this kind of, like, this vacant kind of shipping yard. It's, like, got a chain link fence around it and stuff. The city tried to evict them by using, like, the fire ban or or this and that. Like, they, they just tried to find, like, bylaws and crap, and the province of B.C. offered them funding for low-income housing, and the city councilors there couldn't agree on where to put it or, or whatever, so they refused funding. And then they tried to shut down this homeless camp, and the B.C. Supreme Court rejected it. They're like, no, you, you had a chance to do something for these people and you didn't. You're not just going to get an order to evict them. So this, this far-right group of jerk thought it'd be a good idea to post on Facebook that on Sunday they're going to go and remove them. And somebody comments like, how do you plan to remove 300 plus homeless from a tent city? And they just said very easily with a fist emoticon. A little bit of background about the soldiers of Odin. Like they started off in Finland by this like lunatic neo-Nazi and they, they just patrol Finland, protecting Finnish people from migrants, essentially, because it's such a big problem. They think that they're all violent, I guess, or something. So there's, there's chapters in Canada, there's chapters in Europe and, and in the States. And this group is just going to show up and, and attack a bunch of homeless people. So Sunday morning, I booked a ferry ride, and I went over, and there's this guy carrying a shield. There's an Aboriginal guy carrying a shield. I just kind of had a feeling like he's probably on our side. When I got there, there, there wasn't too many people there yet because the earliest or then the next ferry ride would have had me showing up late. So I showed up and right away, like people were showing up to help and it kind of looked like people were like lining up on the other side of the street too. And one guy really looked aggressive, like kind of looked like a skinhead or a biker and he wanted into the camp and like the organizer wasn't gonna let him pass and I kind of had to get in his face and argue with him a little bit. Not aggressively, he just kept claiming like, well, I have a right to walk here, it's a public place. I'm like, this is someone's home. These are tents. He's like, well, I used to be an addict. I used to be homeless. I'm like, well, if, if you came to help, then you can stay on the outside because that's their home. They're not they're not zoo animals. This isn't someone that you can just go look at. And and like more people showed up and we we, we put up a barricade. Like we were like, we realized like, okay, like people are trying to actually get in now. So we blocked off the entrance with a truck and a table and they kind of gave us a little bit of a briefing. And I'd heard from John and Karen because they've been protesting the pipeline about the, the grandmothers. And they're essentially like Aboriginal elders, um, mostly women. There are, there, are, there are women, they're grandmothers. And, and what they talked about was, like, they've been fighting colonialism for such a long time. They've been fighting racism for so long that they know what methods work and what methods don't. So they're like, we want you to trust us, trust your grandmothers. And they said, we're going to be the front line. We're going to be the first line of defense, and no one stands in front of the grandmothers. This is our show. We don't want somebody picking a fight or swinging a punch, and then the RCMP just trash us because that's how it happens. We're like, okay. And then uh, someone goes, okay, well, so the grandmothers are the first line. 
who's willing to physically defend the camp. You're going to be the second line. You're going to be right behind the grandmothers. And if anything happens to them, you know, we're, we're there to defend them. We're there to kind of be that line. Or if someone tries to get past them, we're there to stop them. And then the third line of defense was going to be just inside the barricade. In case somebody rushes in and they get through, then there's more people than the one or two people that might get through. And probably, probably the worst thing, or just the heaviest thing I heard was, if somebody gets past that third line, don't chase them. Because the people in the tents don't know who is attacking them or who is defending them and they're prepared to defend themselves. And, and hearing that, like, these people are in their tents and they're just fucking scared. Um, like, they're homeless, like, they could lose all their stuff at any time by being arrested or somebody just grabbing their bag. Like, they've had to defend themselves. So they're in their tents not knowing what's happening. So a lot of people just kind of showed up on both sides in the RCMP kind of stood in the middle of the road trying to make sure that nothing would happen and and then it kind of started there's there's people yelling like get a job get rid of them you know flipping people off uh one guy walked up to our line and hucked change at us and it's it's like the cops are right there they don't do anything they don't do fucking shit if i would have thrown change at them what do you think would have happened one of the things that kind of bothered me too just personally was the grandmother said like don't don't react to them don't don't acknowledge them. And there was one woman, and I recognized her from a video where she mocked a, an Aboriginal elder, and she was beating on her on her coffee cup like as a drum. And so I like I yelled like, "Is that cup full of self righteousness, you fuck?" And the grandmother turned around and pointed at me and said, "Don't acknowledge them." And I felt bad. That that that's what bothered me was that I she told me not to do something, and I did something, and I I felt bad about it. I felt like I was being scolded by my own Oma. Like it was. It was crazy, and um, like officially the soldiers of own never showed up, but I don't doubt that they didn't have a couple guys hanging around, feeding them info, telling them like, look, there's a lot of cops. We're probably not gonna be able to break this line. Short, short look at it, like we were outnumbered by, by the amount of people that showed up to hurl insults at a homeless camp. Mm-hmm. And we kind of joked about it too, like what would have happened if they would have all rushed us? Like it would have been a mess. It would have been like a big brawl and even if they got through, like, they're not... Like, have you ever tried to take down a tent? Like, it doesn't it doesn't just move easily. Can you imagine somebody in that tent with their mattress and all their crap? Like, like it's just... It's kind of laughable that they're like, we're just going to remove 300-plus homeless people. We're like, no, you're not. You're not going to be able to do that. You talk about people that I met. I met a ton of awesome protesters there that were, they were really cool. As it was winding down and, and we knew that they weren't showing up, the RCMP were like, "There's looks like they're not going to show up. Most of us are going to leave and a couple of us are just going to hang around just to make sure nothing happens. Like, we just pumped up the music and started dancing and it just turned into a big party. And it, was, it was pretty fun. They didn't just walk away either. And so eventually I got kind of worried because it was a 50-minute walk from the ferry terminal to where, where the camp was. And I kind of like asked just, a, just another protester randomly, I'm like, is there plan to get back at all or anything because I don't want to walk alone like guys were taking my picture and and like you know it's not like I had my face cover or anything right so I was like I don't want to just be walking down the street and get like a brick thrown at me or jump by four guys or something so the guy's like I'll try and talk to some of my friends and he, he kind of laughed and came back he's like okay there's not really a plan or anything I'll go talk to the organizer and then he came back and was like okay when you get a chance you know go talk to him so I talked to him and he goes yeah we've we're all planning on taking a certain ferry back we're going to go do a debrief and then we're all going to take cabs and then we're all going to go on the ferry together. You had to stick together. I, I felt we had to stick together on that one. It was, it was intimidating. It was, it was real heavy. And I eventually made it back to, back to Vancouver to my hostel and just like sat on, on the, just on the patio, and just had like a beer and just kind of like, holy shit. Like it was just not, not what I was, what I was expecting. Um, 
but but I think it was necessary. It was pretty intense. Why did you think it was necessary? I don't know. There's no gray area when it, when it comes to threat like that. I mean, like, you know, say what you want about how you feel about homelessness. Like, I don't like homelessness. I don't I don't like the fact that people people are driven to that and like yeah it's a bit of a nuisance but i mean like there are factors that make people like this i mean we we live in an, in a competitive bias system where if people become insanely rich that means you know if they're the winners or whatever that means somebody has to lose out and when when inflation keeps going higher and higher like a lot of those people that were protesting against the camp like i should, I should stop calling it a camp it's called discontent city which i think is super clever it's they don't realize that they are, you know, one workplace injury away or one one layoff away from not being able to afford their apartment or just becoming old and not being able to work and where are they gonna go? Because they can't live on the island, they gotta move somewhere else where none of their family or friends are around. They have to go find a new doctor again or they just, you know, can't find a place to live. And then once you're homeless, like, you know, people are yelling, get a job. One, it's Sunday, nobody's fucking working on Sunday. <laughs> And, and the other thing is, if you have to live in a tent for a month, do you think anyone's going to hire you? Do you, th you think you're going to walk into an interview smelling good or looking good to, to be hired in a competitive market? No, you're not. So, like, pick a side. Like, you know, go after your city councillors for, for rejecting the funding or try and help out. Try and, try and find a way to help these people. Just saying you're going to remove them and kick them out. Like, kick them to where? They've gone as far as they can go. This is the last place for them. Seeing just, like, a blatant threat towards people that can't defend themselves. I shouldn't say can't defend themselves, but that are have to resort to defending only themselves. It, it just seemed like the there wasn't another option. I, I happen to be there. I happen to be socially conscious enough to want to pick a side. And it, it didn't take long for me to realize to plan out the day and, like, I don't have to go sightseeing tomorrow. I don't have to go to a pub or anything like that. I can just book a ferry, go over there and hope hope and pray that like nobody gets hurt and that it ends up peaceful. And it did. It was it was pretty peaceful, all things considered. There was actually two people from Manitoba there too. There's two Aboriginals that did, did a smudging when they mentioned what their what their tribes were, the one was I can't remember what half it was, but the other half was Anishinaabe. And it's like, that's the first Aboriginal tribe I've heard in BC that I actually recognize. And, yeah. and then someone they found out I was from Manitoba, well, not them specifically, but other people found out I was from Manitoba. They're like, oh yeah, those two people were from there too. Yeah, I got that feeling. It's pretty cool. So where did you go from there? Like from Nanaimo? Well, just generally. Just in general? Uh, I had one more day back in Vancouver, so just went back to Vancouver, bummed around for the day, and then it was to Victoria for two days. Met up with a buddy and just random hostel guests too and hung out with them. It wasn't too much uh, eventful after that. Everything was kind of kind of marked by that protest after. That was kind like of the, like the pinnacle of, of the whole trip. Like everything after that was, even if it was exciting, it just, it didn't really feel as exciting. And every now and again, I would, I'd catch myself thinking about like, holy shit, how bad could that have got? Or what, what now after? Like that city is still there. Those people are still there. There's still a fight to be fought. I guess for those people and In mid-May, around 200 people lived in Discontent City, a tent city positioned in downtown Nanaimo near a rail line, and it's where a multi-million dollar arena was supposed to be built. In October, about 250 residents were still living in the tent city, according to an article in the Times Colonist. According to an article in the Nanaimo News Bulletin, residents of Discontent City are now being moved into temporary housing units set up by BC Housing. All of this comes not without issue. If you'd like to read more about what's going on with Discontent City, I will link some stories under Kevin's episode on throughherepod.com. 
who knows if that group of the soldiers are going to show up again later. Like, you, there's no way of knowing. And then to take what I've learned from there and maybe bring it back to Winnipeg or something. Like, I, I don't know. Like, Victoria was real nice. It was it, it was a nice little city to, to mosey around in. And seeing my, my buddy from that I hadn't seen for a while. He's also my friend's little brother, too. So there's kind of like a, a neat friendship with him. He's a, good, he's a really good guy. Let, let me my book that I lent him from, like, years ago. I finally got it back from him. Why did you to do this trip as a like as a road trip because it was just you were just going to a wedding mm -hmm. versus like just choosing to fly there and only take like a week off or whatever okay I like traveling weddings oddly seem like destination weddings oddly seem to be like a real good excuse to tackle on a couple of days for traveling or a week or two when I went to Cuba it was for a wedding I went a week early to go backpacking just to see the see outside the resort first and then go do that. Another friend of mine, close childhood friend, moved to Europe. So when she had her wedding in Italy, it was like, hey, I've never been to Europe before, so I'm not just gonna fly out for a wedding. I'm gonna plan five weeks around that. After I got back from Europe, I kind of realized I saw more of Europe than I did my own country. You know, before then, I'd only really, I'd been out to BC as a kid and I'd been to like Montreal for a weekend and little things in between, but nothing really, nothing really solid like that. So I, I got to go to Vancouver for the first time, got to go to Victoria for the first time. and and a lot of the whole interior as well. And I experienced it as, as an adult, I experienced it as someone with my own self-autonomy just to go around and, and do whatever I wanted instead of being led around by parents or, or anything like that, or like a school trip. So I, th I think it's a good way, like when, if you're already gonna be taking the time off and spending the money, like try and book a little bit extra time off. Try and try and see if you can save up just a little bit more money to stretch out that trip a little bit further. And you know, you don't have to really know what's around there or have a, a super big passion to go to something. There's there's usually something to do. I mean, if people live there, they got to occupy themselves somehow. There's got to be something unique about the environment or about their about their culture around there. There's always something going on. When I decided I was going to add more to it, then flying didn't seem to be the right thing to do. I'd be spending a couple hundred bucks on a plane ticket, and then I'd be either stuck in one place or I'd be renting a car. So I figured, like, well, the insurance you're going to pay on that, you might as well just drive out and save a little bit of money on a flight and stuff like that. Why do you like traveling? I like it, but I also hate it. <laughs> it's, uh, it gets me out of my comfort zone, I guess. I mean, like, I traveling, aside from family road trip, we never really traveled. I was supposed to go to Japan in junior high for an exchange trip, and it got canceled. My sister got to go ahead of me, and she had a blast, but I, I didn't get to go to that. And then I think it was just before I moved out. It was just kind of, like, pent up and not really knowing what I was doing with my life, and I, I needed to escape. It, it really was an escape, and I know a lot of people, they say when they travel, they're not running from something, but I don't think I was running from something either. But I, I needed needed to like at least get away from from influences around me like away from friends and family just to be able to like be on my own and think about what I actually like and what I like to do or what I'm capable of so after I did like a, a one week one week trip to New York when I was 21 I like came back and I just kind of felt like the the problems that I ended up getting into on that trip and then I overcame by myself well I shouldn't say by myself but from kindness to strangers and able to adapt made me feel like okay I can you know stretched us out a little bit further and then it was like a two-week trip somewhere and then there was the euro trip and and adding to it so when a road trip kind of presented itself this time it's like okay i can i can probably handle this i mean if something goes wrong i'll just adapt and i'll i'll, I'll get through it and i like that about traveling like you get kind of you get set in a routine when you when you just work for a living there's nothing wrong with that i mean it's good to have routine and good to good to have roots like i don't think you know, people talk about traveling for like a year straight i don't think i could do that i like winnipeg i like coming home to winnipeg like after five weeks of having fun it was nice to just like finally see familiar buildings and know 
friends like more friends are nearby and stuff like that maybe that's why i like traveling it's it's nice to come home again and be rejuvenated about the things that you like about your own home you realize what you miss when you go somewhere else mm -hmm. is it different when you come back like are there things that you notice that are different one weird thing is when i came back into winnipeg it was like it was like one in the morning and it was smoky and i was just like i thought it like i thought i was finally done with this because bc is just a big ball of smoke right now so it's just like i was looking forward to clean air and it was smoky when i got in it was like the fires of beset or something like that nothing really nothing really actually jumped out of me like that it was just oh i missed flat land holy crap <laughs> like Mountains are beautiful, don't get me wrong, but like when you just want to get from A to B and you're constantly going up and down hills or around corners, even just walking through a town and you like turn a corner, like, oh, I gotta go uphill now. You're gonna like, when you, you just get tired way easier and like everything's flat here. I, I really like it. It's nice, it's just easy to get around. It was a good trip, it was one I needed. What was your favorite part? Favorite part? Wow, I almost forgot about that. Yeah, question. holy crap. <laughs> uh, favorite part. You know, this is a really random thing that I don't know how I forgot it. It wasn't a, a big part of the trip. It just kind of happened there. It was it was in Jasper for the wedding. Kayaks were super expensive to rent. And some of the groom's friends had already started a hike up. It was Malene, no, the Bald Hills uh, by Malene Lake. So I'm like, I can catch up to them. I got poured on, which is fine. I had, I had like a rain jacket and everything like that. I caught up to them and they brought a cook stove, a pail, oil, and popcorn. And they made popcorn on the mountain. And it was like warm and like oily and it was like really hot, like hot even. And it was good and people would walk by like, like I would offer like, you want some mountain popcorn? They're like, oh, you brought popcorn with you. You're like, no, we made it up here. <laughs> that was honestly my favorite part of the trip. Like there was a lot of other big things that I really liked, but that's what, one moment it's like, yeah, I had popcorn on a mountain. Not too many people can say they've done that. <laughs> That's it for Kevin. If you want extended content from this episode, as always, don't forget to visit us at throughherepod.com. New content is up on Through Here's website under the Where is Here section. We will be posting content every second week here, showing you what great things there are to explore and discover in Riding Mountain National Park all seasons of the year. Thanks for listening to episode six. We hope you have an amazing holiday season. We'll be taking a mid-season break and we'll return January 10th with some interesting and tantalizing episodes. Check back next week for a short preview you minisode minisode however you say that word of what's to come in the new year as always if you'd like to hear see and experience more from through here we have extended content on our social media pages so give us a follow on tumblr pinterest instagram twitter facebook and spotify at at through here you can catch monthly blog posts on our website under the where's here header at throughherepod.com and you can join us every week every thursday starting again on January 10th for new episodes of Through Here. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating if you like what we're doing. We'll see you in the new year. Have a great weekend and holiday season, and don't forget to stay curious. Yeah.